You're listening to a sermon preached at Sojourn East. The great theologian Augustine of Hippo once said that in the Old Testament, the new is concealed. In the new, the old is revealed. When we think of the messianic prophecies from this perspective, we see that the Old Testament whispers to us about the coming of the Messiah. Join us during our Advent sermon series titled Rumors of the Messiah, where we confirm the whispered prophecies of the Old Testament that told of the birth, suffering, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. As we continue our Advent series, I invite you, if you're able, to please stand for the reading of God's Word, which comes today from the book of Micah, chapter 5, and Matthew, chapter 2. Hear God's Word. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Therefore, Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor bears a son, and the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth. And then from Matthew 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Hey, good morning. It's good to be back with you, friends. I've been traveling some and have been out of the pulpit for a little while, but it's a delight to be back here on this fourth Sunday of Advent. You know, my daughter Mandy and I, we are big fans of musical theater. And a couple weeks ago, we went to Cincinnati and saw one of our all-time favorite musicals, which uh, some of you probably know and love as well, and that's the story, the show Wicked, which is kind of a subversive retelling of the Wizard of Oz story. Just great lyrics, great music, moving story. And I was thinking about that story because it really the, the tension of the whole story is based on the fact that the main character... Elphaba, who later ends up becoming the Wicked Witch of the West, she, the whole story is based on the fact that when she is born, she is born un, in a shocking way and unexpectedly, she is born completely green. And that's what really kind of sets it off. She's not a witch at the beginning or anything, but this unexpected birth, this shocking birth is what really uh, reverberates out throughout the whole story. Well, then that made me think about the Grinch, and so I did this deep dive into the origin story of the Grinch, which there is a whole that thing as well. But all of that made me think about our text for today. Not the green part, but the part of a child that is born unexpectedly and whose birth is actually mostly disturbing. 
You know, when we think about Christmas, obviously we remember that we're celebrating the birth of the Christ child. But in the midst of all the joy and the the wonderful things about Christmas, I wonder if we forget that really his birth was marked by, it was unexpected and it was shocking. It was very unexpected to Mary and Joseph. After all, they had not yet come together as husband and wife. And so it was a completely unexpected pregnancy in a way that is the ultimate unexpected pregnancy. And it was also very shocking, as we just saw in the text, and we'll see here again in a moment, very shocking and disturbing to the people of Jerusalem. And that's what I want us to think about the effect of that today. Here we are in our fourth Sunday of Advent. And for this series, this year, every year we do like a different theme to tie together the four Sundays of Advent. And for this year, we are doing what we're calling the rumors of the Messiah, which means what ways did the Old Testament, the Jewish scriptures, what way did they look forward and kind of give hints and rumors that make sense of the Christmas story? And so we've been seeing that each week. And today our texts are from Micah 5, and Matthew 2, and they fit the bill greatly for this idea of rumors. And today, as we think about together the ways in which the Messiah Jesus was rumored in the Old Testament, we're going to see a couple of things. We're going to see first that God is the God of the unexpected, and also that also unexpected to us that the Christmas story is really about being a shepherd. So let me pause and pray once more And I'll invite you to grab a Bible then, and we'll look at these texts together. But let me pause and pray for us as we begin. We thank you, our Heavenly Father, for your abundant kindness. I I thank you, as I often do, for your consistency, for your sameness. As we uh, go, we see changes in our bodies, we see changes in our relationships, we, as we come to the end of another year and we maybe think back of how much happened this year that we didn't expect and we think about the future and how much we just change and how fickle we are, we thank you that you are a rock and you are the same and you're not shifting shadows, you are trustworthy. And so as we even open scripture again, we ask you to show up, God, and do for us what we can't do for ourselves, which is open our minds and hearts to understand and see you clearly. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, if you do have a Bible or pull it up on your phone, I'd like to ask you to, to look with me. But before we get to Micah chapter 5, there's actually a story I want to look at that comes before that, because the the connection between Micah 5 and Matthew 2 is very clear, but there's actually something that happens before Micah 5 that's really, really important to make sense of how those things are connected. And that text that I'm thinking about is way back in the book we call 1 Samuel, and particularly 1 Samuel chapter 16. So if you have a Bible, you can look there with me, and I'll put some of the verses on the screen as well. So what's happening in 1 Samuel 16 is that if you think back, it's about a thousand years. So it's probably about 1030 BC. So about a thousand years before the time of Jesus. And what we find is that the people of God, Israel, are in a very bad situation, which is kind of almost any time you, you read the Old Testament, that's usually the case. But this was a particularly bad situation. The people, God's people, were residing in, in what today we'd call Palestine or the Holy Land. And they're surrounded by enemies, particularly the Philistines, who are constantly 
brutally defeating them and humiliating them. And so God raises up a prophet named Samuel. And through a series of events, Samuel then anoints this king that God provides a king for Israel. The first king of Israel, his name was Saul. But by this point, by the time we get to chapter 16 in 1 Samuel, things have gone very poorly. Saul has turned out to not be faithful to God, and he's really been a big disappointment as a king, and he's very narcissistic and very um, driven by a lot of fear, and he's just not doing a good job as a king. And so Samuel himself is grieving over this, the text says. He's grieved and he's concerned, and and the people of God are not doing well. And so then God shows up to Samuel and says, I'm going to give Israel a good king. I'm going to give you another king. So here's what you're going to do. And you can see this if you look at chapter 16. He says, go to this little village called Bethlehem, and you're going to find a farmer there named Jesse. Go, and I promise you, I'm going to show you who's going to be the next king of Israel. So Samuel goes, he shows up in this little town of Bethlehem. It's hard not to sing that when you say that phrase, this little town of Bethlehem. And he, everybody is freaking out because when a prophet shows up in your town, that's generally not a good sign, right? So everybody's panicking and he says, don't worry, I come in peace. And he knows what's going to happen, but he doesn't tell them what's going to happen. He knows that God's going to point out to him who the next king is going to be from the sons of Jesse. So he says, Jesse, I want to have a feast at your house, and so bring all your sons, and we're going to have a feast, and we'll see what happens. So they do. They have this this feast together, and in kind of very dramatic fashion, Samuel is there, and each of Jesse's sons are presented to him, and the first son, Eliab, comes before Samuel, and he's tall, and he's strong, and Samuel thinks, this is it. This is going to be the new king, and God says to him, nope, this is not one. This is not the one. And so it goes through all seven sons and Samuel is surprised because he's thinking, who has who God anointed to be the king? And so you, we can pick it up here in verse 10, chapter 16, verse 10. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel and Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? Well, it turns out there is another son. He says, well, there's still the youngest, but he's tending the sheep. And Samuel said, send for him. We'll not sit down until he arrives. So it turns out there's another son, but he's so low on the Jesse family food chain, which I understand that as the father of a lot of kids. He's, He's like, he's the one who gets the short end of the stick. Like he doesn't even get to come to the feast. He is out in the fields doing the lowliest of jobs, tending the sheep. But God was up to something. So verse 12 says, So he sent for him and had him brought in, and he was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. And the Lord said, Rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and appointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David, and Samuel then went to Ramah. This is a great story. It's like it's got all the drama of a Hollywood film, this unexpected seventh son or eighth son here. And notice this is not like an ugly duckling story in the sense it's not that David is like horrible and wimpy and incapable. There's not like a comedic montage that comes on where David's like trying to shoot an arrow and he shoots his foot accidentally or something. It's nothing like that. He's actually a healthy, capable person. But what's unexpected, what's completely shocking 
is that he is, that God has chosen the youngest and the lowliest son. He passes over all the apparent kings, the one who wasn't even invited to the feast, indicating again that he is the one that God has chosen. God loves to do the unexpected. God loves to do the to turn things upside down and in fact in the midst of this dark and horrible time for Israel he cho- chooses this shepherd kid not from a royal family who's probably note at this time probably between 8 and 12 years old he chooses him and says he's going to be the king now i raised four sons I love that age of eight to 12 year olds. And if you're an eight to 12 year old boy in here, you're awesome. And I can't wait to be a grandfather because I love that decade of Legos and Nerf guns. We would buy Nerf gun bullets in bulk, right? I mean, that's a great age, but I wanna say to you and all of you can affirm this as well, even though that's a great age, we don't want you to be a king. (laughs) This is a very unexpected thing for God to do is to choose this young boy and exalt him above his brothers as the king. Now, of course, God's not done doing unexpected things. What happens in the very next chapter? It's the very, one of the most famous stories of the Bible, David and Goliath, where this young boy God uses to slay this great Philistine giant. God is a God of the unexpected, the turning things upside down. Now, that's the setup actually for our text today from Micah 5 that Matthew's going to use as well. Because if you fast forward about 300 years and fast forward in your Bible as well, you'll find that we're in another extremely dark time for God's people, for Israel and Judah. The glories of David's kingdom now are long gone. There have been generations of bad kings and bad people, and God's judgment is rightly upon his people for, being, uh, for going astray. The kingdom itself has been split. You've got 10 northern tribes that are going to separate and then two southern tribes and they don't get along with each other. And then in the 8th century, in around 722, and it goes on for a number of years, the 10 tribes are completely overrun and destroyed. And God sends a prophet to the south named Micah. He's one of what we call the 12 minor prophets. He sends Micah, and he's active during this time. And then in about 710 BC, Sennacherib, who was a great Assyrian emperor who himself conquered Babylon, which was the great empire of its day, he rolls through the Holy Land with his armies, and he besieges Jerusalem and is going to starve them out. The once great city of David is now besieged. And this And other sufferings are the state of God's people when God sends Micah the prophet to speak. And he reproves them, he challenges them, and he also speaks these amazing words of hope from chapter 5. Let me read them for you again. He says, But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old." From ancient times, and therefore Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor bears a son, and the rest of his his brothers return to join the Israelites. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth. Do you see the same pattern? 
God is the God of the unexpected. In the midst of this suffering, this fear, this loss, literally being besieged as a city, and most of that is God's people's own fault for abandoning God. In the midst of this, God promises to send someone who is shockingly going to reverse everything. He's going to send a shepherd king from the tiny town of Bethlehem, from this one clan within that, who is, and notice the four things it says, is gonna shepherd with God's strength, with great glory and majesty. He's gonna provide security and he's going to expand and cause flourishing in God's people. And that person is mysterious. It says his origins are from ancient of days. But either way, God is the God of the unexpected. This is undeserved. This is unhoped for. It's an unbelievable promise of the reversal of their woes. And if you, kept, if you keep reading in the history of Israel, what happens is God does deliver them from this being besieged. But, but really what happens is over the next 700 years, God's people are continually run over They are abandoned. They're run over by empire after empire after empire. Incredible suffering happens for 700 years until finally we get down to the time that we would now, you know, mark our calendars differently as, you know, AD 1 or something. We get down to this era. Now the great Roman empire is ruling over everything and oppressing the Jews just like everybody before them dead. And that's the context of our Christmas text from Matthew 2. Matthew chapter 2. So if, if, you, if you have a Bible and you turn back and just glance at Matthew chapter 1, the first chapter of the New Testament, what you'll see is that we're told that Jesus is of the line of David, and we're told that he had parents like everyone does, but unlike every other human, his conception is by the Holy Spirit His mother, Mary, again, was a virgin, but she became pregnant with Jesus, the most, certainly the most shocking and unexpected thing that has probably ever happened in history. And then in Matthew 2, we're not actually told about the the night of Jesus' birth. We need to turn to Luke for that. But we are told what happened after his birth. And look at these verses again in Matthew 2. And after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, hey, where's the one who's been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and we've come to worship him. And when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. Now notice, once again, We're in a horrible time for God's people. They are at the far corner of this very oppressive Roman Empire. And locally, they have this notorious ruler, Herod the Great, who was by all accounts an absolutely horrible person. He killed wives and sons of his own out of fear of them them overtaking him. He's taken on the title King of the Jews, and he's used it to just expand his own wealth. And the religious people of the day, the religious establishment in Jerusalem, the the Bible experts, they're all in cahoots with him and are part of his sort of court. And so it is a horrible time for faithful, regular believers in God. And then the trouble of this passage is that in the midst of this horrible, dark time, these Persian philosophers show up, these these sages, these wise men, these scholars show up with royal gifts. They show up in Jerusalem and say, we're here. 
we heard there was a king born here. <laughs> and Herod, who's old and has not just had another baby, he is incredibly disturbed by this news. And so he needs to know what this information is about. And so he goes to the Bible experts and he asks them. And what they don't say to him is, don't worry about it, Harry. You got this. No more kings coming. All is good. They don't say that. They quote to him Micah 5. Let me read it for you again. They say, in Bethlehem and Judea, for this is what the prophet has written, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. It's not the answer that King Herod was wanting, and we see in the story just after this that he's so disturbed by it that he sends his troops to Bethlehem and kills all the baby boys two years and younger. It's a dark time. And so here's the question. I hope you're already seeing it. What's the invisible string that's tying together all these stories from the Old Testament all the way into the Christmas story of Matthew 2? Well, it's that God is the God of the unexpected, especially in times of darkness. This is how God works. Consistent across all these stories and really the whole Bible, we see that God shows up to bless in dark times. In desperate circumstances, God shows up. He shows up with shocking grace and kindness and reversal in the midst of suffering and humiliation, whether it's something that's come upon us or something that's self-inflicted as well, just like he did in Samuel and David's time, like he did in Micah's day, and like he does with the birth of Jesus. And here's the point, friends. The same God of the Bible who was working in history has not changed. And he is the same God today working in your story. Do you believe that? I mean, why do we come to church and study the Bible, right? Why not just eat a bunch of cookies and watch Elf this morning? Right? Maybe you did that already, and if so, there's no judgment. That's great. But why do we keep coming to learn about who God is? Because he is the same God of the Bible who is actually at work in history and in your story. Do you believe that? Can you think of times in your life where what we're talking about here is true, that in, in a dark place, God showed up in this unexpected way? Maybe it was job loss that ended up, you know, the pain, in the midst of the pain of that and the fear of that, ended up being a blessing that it helped you reset priorities and led to something so much better. Maybe... It was a breakup of a relationship that felt so devastating, but even through the pain of it, then it resulted in healthier and more life-giving relationship. Maybe, maybe a health crisis. Just on Friday, I was briefly in and out of the hospital for just a minor medical procedure and all was, all was well. But as I was going to the hospital on Friday, I was just, and just being there and just kind of waiting, I, I was just reminded of how many people are going to the hospital for bad news or for a difficult surgery or a difficult situation, a, a dire health situation, many of you included. 
But I know many of you have been in situations where it was dire and God showed up. And as we think about this pattern in scripture, I just want to speak this word of encouragement to you, friends. Whatever you're going through right now or in the near future, painful situations and relationships or money or anxiety, I'm not a prophet, so I can't tell you exactly what's going to happen. But I can with all confidence tell you this, that the God of the unexpected is doing good things for you. He may not answer the prayers in the way that you and I want. He may. It's good to pray. But as one of my mentors always said to me, in every situation, God is doing a thousand good things. And that's what I want you to remember this morning is that the God of the unexpected in the midst of all that you're, that you're experiencing is doing a thousand good things on your behalf. That's the pattern of the Bible. God shows up with unexpected blessings. And as we think about the picture of Christmas, the coming of a shepherd king in a, in a time and a place that was unexpected, that's meant to reveal to us how God operates. This is who he is. The same pattern throughout is how God is, and it's true for us to do today as well. And I know Christmas is for many people a very dark season. I love Christmas. I love all the things involved in it, but I've spent a lot of time with many of you in the last couple of weeks, and just I've been in several situations where people were sharing Christmas memories, et cetera, and a lot of people, I was actually kind of surprised how many people for whom this season is mostly dark, a lot of loss, regret, pain, stress. So whether your Christmas season now is one full of joy or full of tears, or probably for most of us, it's somewhat mixed, I want to say to you that the same God who is at work in David's story and in Micah's prophecy and at the birth of Jesus is the same God at work for your good. This is how he is. This is who he is for us in Christ and why Christmas is so central to who we are. And so I'd invite you to just have open hands and an open heart to look for what God, how he might show up for you. And then I'd love to hear about it. <laughs> Please tell me about it, how God has shown up for you in this season. There's one more crucial thing I want to help you think about as we head into this week of Christmas from these stories. And it's not only that God is a God of the unexpected and he shows up in our dark times, but also probably unexpected to us, one of the main images of Christmas, you can see it in Micah 5 and in Matthew 2, is that the way God shows up for us is providing us a perfect shepherd king, a shepherd king. And I know when you think about Christmas, you probably don't think about Jesus as a shepherd. Like we think about shepherds, we think about the shepherds were there and the whole thing happened in a barn, etc. But do you realize, and did you hear it in those texts, that one of the main images of Christmas is that the Christ child himself will be a shepherd. And I don't know what you think of when you think of shepherd. Maybe you think of like, if you think about it biblically, maybe you think of John 10, where Jesus says he's the good shepherd. Maybe you think of an image, some picture or a painting or a photo of like a bearded robed guy with a lamb around his neck. That's all great. But 
when you think about shepherd and when you think about king, for us, in our minds, those associations are totally separate. But for Jewish people, especially ancient Jewish people, because of David, who was this perfect combination, the idea of a shepherd and a king are really two sides of one coin. And this is exactly what Micah 5 and Matthew 2 is telling us Jesus, the, the one born at Christmas, is. He is this shepherd king. And the reason those two images are not separate for them, and they shouldn't be for us either, is because what does a good shepherd do and what does a good king do? They do the same thing. They provide and protect and guide us. That's what a good king should do, and that's what a good shepherd does. They guide, and they protect, and they provide for us. Remember those words from Micah 5, what is this good shepherd going to do? He's going to do four things. He's going to shepherd his flock with God's strength. He's going to shepherd his flock with great glory and majesty that's befitting a king. He's going to provide security, and he's going to expand and create flourishing for his people. And if you keep reading beyond Matthew 2, read the rest of the next 26 chapters, you'll see that's exactly what Matthew shows us is true of Jesus. That as the shepherd king, the predicted shepherd king, the rumored shepherd king, he ends up doing exactly those things. Jesus shows up in God's strength with great glory. He provides security and he expands and creates flourishing for his people. And that's a key idea I want to inject into your Christmas this year, the idea that Jesus is the shepherd king for us. And as we wrap up this year and look towards 2022, I also want you to think about one of the biggest or the biggest implication of Jesus being a shepherd king about us is that it means that we are sheep, this is a primary identity. As you wrap up this year and think about how you're going to show up next year, I want you to think of this primary reality that if Jesus is the shepherd king, who we are primarily is sheep. And I was thinking about this, like, what are all the ways that God describes God's people in the Old Testament? Well, there's lots of images, building and some very rarely like an eagle or a lion or something like that. But the main way that God describes his people as sheep. He doesn't describe us as, again, stallions or raccoons or I don't know what all the cats, you know, the cat of my pasture or something. I've no, I don't know, or zebras. There are all these, all these animals he could use. Which animal does he primarily use to describe us? Sheep with him as the shepherd. Why is that? It's a very common idea throughout the whole Bible. It's because we as sheep we are meant to be together, we are communal creatures, and we are ones whose primary existence is in need of guidance and protection and provision. We're not primarily to think of ourselves as great lions that are out there on the hunt, conquering the world. We are primarily to think of ourselves in this very humbling image. It's meant to be a humbling image, that we are dependent creatures who need protection and provision and guidance from someone else. And I think as we think about being sheep, we heard it in the confession from Isaiah 53, one of the main things about being sheep is that we tend to wander. And I want to say to you, friends, as you think back on 2021, as you think of this season right now, 
Are you wandering? Wandering away from relationships? Are you wandering just in faithfulness to God? God looks upon you with a smiling face as a good shepherd and says, there, there's no life there. The worst thing for a sheep is to be on its own. We are meant to be guided and protected and provided for and together. And as I was thinking about this, I could not help but think of a psalm that is very, very familiar, but you never think of it Christmas. But I want to read for you what Psalm 23 says again and listen to how similar it is to what we've been saying. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So to wrap this up and to pull it together and put a bow on it, as we head into this final week before Christmas, I want to remind you of who God is for us in the Christ child. He is the God of the unexpected, showing up to bless in the midst of darkness and to provide for us the perfect shepherd king that we need, one to guide us and protect us and provide for us. So give yourself to him anew. Let this be a week and a season where you humble yourself before the Lord, resist straying away, and find in the Christ child the hope and life that you need. Let me pray for us. I'm Kevin Jameson, lead pastor at Sojourn East. Thanks for listening. For more sermons, info about our church, and ways you can support the ministry of Sojourn East, visit sojournchurch.com east.